welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? That's right. My name is Darren. I'm the lead pastor at the Garden Church. I want to welcome you here if, you, if this is your first time. Uh, we are celebrating one simple fact this morning that Jesus lived in human history. He died on the cross and he has been resurrected from the dead. And it is, and it is because this, of this that we say he is risen. All right, let's try it one more time. I didn't warn you. He is risen. That's right. Okay, so here at the garden, we love things like peeps, Easter egg hunts, chocolate bunnies, and uh, trinkets of all sorts, shapes, and and sizes that have to do with Easter. But there's a lot more going on than those things on Sunday. And uh, either this is the biggest and most elaborate lie the world has ever known, or Easter represents the, the most significant human event that's ever happened in history. And some of you are new. Obviously, this place is filled. Some of you are new and um, and maybe you were invited by a neighbor or friend or you were bribed by a family member with brunch afterwards or you were coerced or dragged by a parent or a daughter or son or something. And we want to welcome you here. I know there are a lot of uh, maybe new people and and maybe you're not a big fan of church. And I want to say uh, I'm sorry for that right off the bat, because I know at church and the church oftentimes gets in the way of Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is honor your time, if you're new, and and honor our time and simply tell you the story of why this is such a big deal and what we're celebrating on this day. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 24. If you don't, there's a couple left. We need to order some more because everyone's taking them, which is fine. Um, But we'll have it on the screen. Luke 24. We're going to read the story. Luke was a a guy, he's a doctor. He writes an account of Jesus' life. And we're at the end of this book in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. And uh, Luke is writing to tell you what happened to Jesus. And he's not writing just to give you history, although it is that. He's writing so followers of Jesus can know what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just what happened, but what does it mean for us today? So Luke chapter 24, verse 1, um, we pick up um, verse 1. At, at the end, Jesus has just been crucified. He's been buried. And now we pick up in verse 1. It says this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices because the men were sleeping in and they, that they had prepared. <laughs> And went to the tomb. So on the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, if you're new to the scripture, it's an ancient document. And I wanted to to just explain a couple of things because we read verse one and there is this whole set of history and theology and background that we need to grab. And so if you're hearing the story for the first time, I thought I would just tell you a, a couple of things about the history in order for us to understand why Easter Sunday is such a significant deal. So a couple of things. First of all, these women are followers of Jesus. Okay, so we learn that about them. They have witnessed Jesus's death. They're followers of Jesus. Now, what I want to ask today is why did they follow Jesus? I want to answer that question. And who is this Jesus? Because if you study ancient texts, Jesus was a very common name in the first century. It would be a modern equivalent of Bob, Chris or Mike. 
And this is Jesus of Nazareth. So Nazareth was of no significance or consequence. Um, So if if we put it in modern context, these women followed Bob of Fresno. Basically, there was absolutely nothing important about his name necessarily or where he was from necessarily. Um, And so why do these women follow Jesus? Why do they follow Bob of Fresno? And I think um, maybe you would say, well, he was a rabbi and a teacher. He was a moral guy. And yeah, yeah, he had a great message. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Or maybe because they thought he was a prophet. Yes, maybe that's true as well. Um, But this rabbi prophet wouldn't have been killed by the dominant military superpower known as the Roman Empire for just teaching some message of love and hope and joy and God's way of life coming, would he? The reason these women followed Jesus is because they believed he was the Messiah The word Messiah means king in Hebrew or rescuer or savior. And they believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, lots of Old Testament prophecies, that one day God would come back into history and bring a suffering servant known as the Messiah and rescue the world from slavery. And so these women were Jewish. And in order to understand what the Jewish community thinks, you have to understand that they have this narrative. They have this paradigm of seeing how the world works. And that's called the Old Testament for us Christians or for those of you that are taking notes. The Old Testament is really the story of God. And it begins in Genesis. And these women believe that that God created heaven and earth. They believe that we were not products of randomness and chance but of divine intelligence and choice. That God designed the world to live in perfect harmony. And whether you believe this or not, because of this view, we have a value way beyond what we look like or whether culture deems us as successful or not, or whether we make a lot of money or whether we uh, uh, are, are, are beautiful or not, whether culture deems us as beautiful or not, our value deep inside each of us have an intrinsic worth because we have been made in that image. Because God set out to make us not as a reaction, not as a, a chance happening of, of collision of atoms or particles, but because God chose to make humanity in his image and he created humanity to live in right relationship with God with other people, with all of creation, and with ourselves. This is what the Jewish community believed. This is what Christians believe. But somewhere along the line, something happened to that perfect relationship. Imagine living in a world of, of filled with justice and peace and joy and love and restoration, and marriages won't, didn't divorce, and there were no wars. That's the way it was intended to be in the first place. But in the story, Genesis chapter 3 reveals that God gave us free will. He gave us choice. We had the freedom to choose to, to serve God or someone else or to worship God or someone else. And because of this, we guess which one we chose? I mean, do I have to convince you that uh, people chose to serve themselves or worship things other than God? And something called sin entered into the story and this, the creation and our humanity began to get corrupted or vandalized. Think of all the ways you've seen communities hurt each other. Think of all the ways that you look in the mirror and don't see a beautiful creature designed for perfection and wholeness and well-being. And you know Deep down inside, that things aren't the way they should be. 
that we don't have to read the newspaper for very long to recognize that there is a problem in the world and it is in need of rescuing. Are you with me? And it's not just that there's there's a problem in the world there, that deep inside of us, we continue to choose behaviors that are um, uh, anything but filled with wholeness. And, and, and if you if you look at the world, the world is continuing, continuing to offer us uh, freedom and liberation and, and rescue. We go to self-help books. We go to therapy. Dr. Oz, we, we continue to fill ourselves with uh, something that might fill the void of the emptiness and the brokenness and the despair that some of us feel on a regular basis. We choose habits and behaviors that are self-destructive. Are you with me? I'm not going to I don't have to prove to you that there is something called sin in the world. But now back to these women. So they have this view in their mind. They, they, they believe they were taught in history in their school system. They, they prayed and worshiped in synagogues that one day God would bring a redeemer to fix, to repair, to restore and renew all of creation back to its original intention. Back to a place of well-being, back, back to a place of wholeness. Every time we cry out for injustice or we, 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 we fight for abuse, against abuse, or every time we, we, uh, we see suffering in the world and we feel like it's not right, that's because we were designed to live in perfect harmony with God, ourselves, each other, and all of creation. And now these women believe this. And so for them, they were following Jesus because they believed he was the promised Messiah. That he was the one that would liberate the world from its brokenness, from its despair, from its from sin and from death. But verse one says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, these women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. These women are carrying spices. To a tomb. Spices were used to finish the burial process of dead bodies. And Jesus' Jesus's very thoroughly dead body needed to be covered with fresh smell from spices so that as his body decayed, the other family members that Joseph of Arimathea would bring to that tomb big enough to fit other families wouldn't smell the dead, rotting body. Now, there were other messiahs before Jesus, would-be messiahs. In fact, there's a famous one named Judas Maccabee or Judas the Hammer. And these messiahs came, uh, arrived at different times in history. This one arrived about 160 years before Jesus is around. And this man uh, went to Jerusalem, came in on a, uh, on a, on a, uh, on a horse and, and defeated the enemy of Rome. People were chanting in the streets, he's the messiah, the promised one of God. But like all other false messiahs, Judas died. And so goes the story for would-be messiahs. They would end and it would end in death. And so the picture we have is a picture of women waking up early in the morning, the day after Sabbath, going to a tomb to finish the burial of their dead messiah. This is not a good picture. This is a picture of complete despair. And hopelessness. 
I don't think we can catch the gravity of what Luke is trying to write in this first verse of, of these women that had followed Jesus with everything they had. They had put their hope and trust in the message that he was the one, yet he died. And they witnessed him beaten, spit upon, insulted, questioned, whipped, struck in the head with a rod, eventually nailed to a cross, which is the ultimate expression of humiliation and domination. It was the most painful death someone could have. And so these women are carrying spices because they witnessed his death. The death of their Messiah. I don't know if maybe that it doesn't connect with us. Maybe uh, some of you have owned a home and you've experienced foreclosure. I think the picture, if you can mag- multiply this by a million, is something like this. Imagine you had a home, but you, because of the economy crisis, you, uh, you lost it. And the process of moving your three-bedroom, two-bath into a two-bedroom apartment with your kids is just grueling. Imagine boxing up your stuff, looking at the marks on the wall and remembering the stories behind them. Imagine eventually moving everything to this two-bedroom apartment and then going back to the house with the keys and walking around the house, the empty house. You come to the dining room and it's empty and you can recall conversations, drinks of wine and laughing with family members as, as you recall the stories that were told in the dining room. You go to the kitchen and there in the kitchen is marked on the walls, the, the, the in pencil, the, the kids height as they grew up in this house. It echoes as you walk, you close the door, you hand the keys over to the agent and you drive home. That feeling right there. Multiply that by infinity. And that's a woman carrying spices to a tomb. Are you with me? This is how the Easter story begins. Verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they didn't enter. They did not find the body. I'm sorry, but they, when they entered it, they did not find the body of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus. While they, while they were wondering about this, which is what you do when bodies go missing, suddenly two men, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces on the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. They were looking for a dead body. Do you find the story fascinating? They weren't looking for a resurrected Jesus Christ. They were looking for the dead body of their executed Messiah. If you were making the story up, why would the closest followers of Jesus be surprised that he did what he said he would do? Why would they carry spices to finish the burial process if you were making the story up? See, at this point, they only knew the world to work a certain way. When people die, they stay dead. But Easter says when people die, they, they live. The resurrection means that the world works differently. The resurrection means if death is no longer an issue, what else might be possible? You look, why are you looking for the living among the dead? They weren't anticipating a resurrection. In fact, if you read the other gospel stories, if you're a critic of of the church and want to know whether or not this is real, I want to really press into this. In the other gospels, most of the women are the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. If you were writing a document that would be held in court in the first century, you could not have the first witnesses be women because it it wouldn't be legal in court. 
In the second century, the greatest argument against the resurrected Jesus was the fact that they said women saw him first. You're not making this stuff up if you're trying to prove something that you made up. Are you with me? Why would you be surprised? Why would you show all of the disciples' response as surprised and shocked and doubtful? Some of you here are doubtful. You read other stories in the Gospels of people doubting that it was happening. Now, Jesus said he would do this. Jesus said that he would die for the sins of the world. And on the third day, he would raise again. Now, here's what I want to do. Stretch your mind for a moment. Would you? Some of you um, have heard this story and maybe you don't believe, but I want you to stretch your mind. If this happened in human history, then the resurrection validates everything about what Jesus said. If this really happened in human history, then this validates what Jesus did, what he said, his life, his death, and the resurrection has dramatic implications for how we live today. Are you with me? So stretch your minds for a moment. See, Jesus came to, this, to, um, to the world with a very controversial message. Now, if you haven't heard this, I want to I share this message with you for the first time. Jesus came announcing God's way of life is available to us here and now. He said that, he called this the kingdom of God. He said, a life marked with peace and justice, love and healing and freedom and righteousness and wholeness, Sounds very familiar to the the first way it was designed. Are you with me? He said, all of this is available to you. Transformation is available for you now. He didn't come preaching, believe in some doctrine, and then one day you're going to be zapped out of here and go to a place somewhere else called heaven. That wasn't the message of Jesus Christ. He said, heaven is moving here on earth through people who know me. He said things like, uh, turn the other cheek. He said things like, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weak, the least likely folks. He casted out demons, liberating those that were spiritually oppressed. He forgave sins. And he told his followers, hey, if you want to keep your life, you have to lose it. Uh, The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The greatest among you must be servants of all. And the greatest commandment is to love. The stories of Jesus were unexpected. Jesus touched lepers, those that no one else would touch. He heard the cry of blind people. Who were told to be quiet and silence. He dined with tax collectors. Those that everybody hated. He talked with thirsty, loose Samaritan women who he wasn't supposed to talk to. Time over and over again, he went to the edges. He went to the margins. He went to those in trouble, those despised, those that no one else would touch. Those who were ignored, the weak, the last, the losers, the lost. He moved towards them. He extended himself to them. He reaches out to them and he met them in their place of brokenness, in despair, in their utter failure and abandonment. Jesus was the revelation of what of what God was like. Who is this Jesus? He says uh, that God is like a merciful king that that uh, forgives the debt of a national that's the size of a national debt. He's like a God who's a lender who generously cancels the debt in case uh, in this case it was the sins of a prostitute. He says God's like a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one lost and lonely sheep. He says God, in Luke chapter 18, God hears the prayers of slumlords, drug addicts, and terrorists. The equivalent of first century tax collectors and prostitutes. Again and again, God is seen afresh by Jesus. 
God is revealed as, the surpa- as surpassing goodness and boundless and infinite in mercy. He reveals a God who's like a father. And his son rebels against the father and takes his inheritance and blows it on women and booze. And in his squandering of his inheritance, he comes to the point of himself where he has nothing left. And he goes back to the dad and in a place of shame with his tail between his legs. He walks home hoping to be a slave. And the father doesn't see him from a distance and do anything. He runs to him. He stumbles on the ground to get to him before he could say a word of excuse. He wraps his arm around him and says, you are my son. The God that Jesus reveals is so controversial that it insults our standards of justice, mercy, and love. And brothers and sisters, if you'll stretch your minds with me, his life, death, and the resurrection validates everything I've just said. Jesus reveals that God loves you unconditionally just as you are and not as you should be. With all the wrong turns you've made in the past, with everything that you know about your life, God knows this. And beyond your worthiness or unworthiness, your fidelity or infidelity, without caution or regret, no matter what you've done or what's gone on in your life, He can't stop loving you. And there is one God in the Christian vision, the God who comes to meet you where you live and loves you as you are. For those of you that have any doubts, Jesus makes it perfectly clear there's no religious game to play. There's no spiritual ladder to to climb. There's not a set of right things that you have to follow. The gospel is good news that it's way too good to be true. And that's called grace. All you can do is hear this message and receive it. But what about this? But yeah. Jesus is ultimately revealed in Scripture as the living, breathing evidence that God wants everybody and everyone to be rescued, renewed, and reconciled to ourselves, to our neighbors, to our world, and to God. He wants to put everything back in its right place, as the prophet Radiohead said, everything in its right place. Jesus didn't come to make you moral. He didn't come to make you nice person. He didn't come to take our fun away. He came to give you life, real life. And for those of us that take seriously the resurrection, the resurrection changes the way we live today. Not someday with a ticket someplace else, but it changes how we live today. I have a a friend named John and John goes to our church. And at one point in his life, he was at the end of his rope. John was uh, grew up in a, with an alcoholic family and experienced a lot of pain as a kid. And he carried that pain into his adulthood that caused him to make all sorts of decisions, decisions that would eventually help hold him captive. John became an alcoholic. He used alcohol as a mean of, means of coping. He became a drug addict. Drugs became a means to escape. And he became homeless in the city of Long Beach. The word homeless became an identity. For him to relate to a certain type of community within our city. People filled with pain and brokenness. 
Things got so bad for John that he felt his life was shattered. It had no meaning. He had no hope. He had no reason to live. And at one point, he was living in such despair. And despair is the condition of our generation. Despair is the idea or the belief that things will always be the way they've always been. Eventually, John cried out to God. He had heard somewhere that there's a God who has a plan for his life and that that life would involve radical transformation. Alcoholic, drug addict, and homeless, stuck in a cycle of poverty. He made his way to a shelter and found himself at the foot of the cross of Jesus, where he met the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus began to resurrect his life. Alcohol, he's been sober. Drugs, he's sober. Homeless, he has a job and his own apartment. You wouldn't know this about John, but he says he, he knows that Jesus lives, so now he lives for Jesus. You see, he's experienced resurrection. John goes to our church. You wouldn't see him on stage because he's the guy setting up and tearing down every Sunday. I invited John over for Thanksgiving thinking he might not have a place to go. And I was dumbfounded by what he said. He texted me back and said, Darren, I've been saving up for a while to go out and feed all my friends who don't have a place to go that are homeless. The resurrection says life doesn't always have to be the way it's always been. And Jesus is in the business of resurrecting dead things. I have a friend named Christy. She comes to our church. She's been coming for a while. And when she got married, she wanted to be a mom. And her and her husband, Kevin, were excited to start a family. But they were met with opposition. Difficult process to get pregnant, like so many people. Doctor's appointments after doctor's appointments. Meeting after meeting. Finally, the doctor said, you're infertile. Began to get treatment for that. They started coming to the garden in a season where we seemed to dedicate dozens of babies. Every, everybody and their mom was getting pregnant at the garden. But for Christy, that was just a reminder that she was infertile. She would never have that of her own. So they began to enter the adoption process, which was just a reminder that she couldn't have what she wanted and she stopped praying because sometimes it's easier to not pray and not get an answer than to pray and not get an answer. Do you know what I'm saying? But she said she lost the courage to hope. Until one day someone at a prayer gathering was naive enough to say God wants to heal you. And that God's a God of promise. A few months later, she's still not pregnant. The question, why God, why the lack of hope eventually was met with a phone call and their adopted baby was born on New Year's Day 2012. Two weeks later, they adopted it. Baby Tatum, who's in our kids' ministry, is a reminder of promise. But that's not where the story ends. Doctors say you're infertile. And in May of 2012, they said you're pregnant. And nearly three months old, Beckett is a baby boy who remind, is a reminder that God is a God of promise and God delights to heal today. Resurrection says we have courage to hope no matter what circumstance. Amen? Amen. Resurrection says if death is no longer an issue, what else might be possible? I have a friend named Hannah. And Hannah... Uh, grew up in the church a bit, never had a relationship with God. She thought the church was some moral club. She began to pursue her life and whatever that looked like. It ended up in partying, smoking weed, drinking heavily. Ended up with her having a baby outside of marriage. Ended up with her being desperate 
depressed, isolated and lonely. Things got so bad for her that her grandmother evicted her. Because of the decision she was making in her life. Hannah went to a homeless prevention center in Long Beach and they offered her a bed and she cried out to God. If you are there, help me. And she thought, I'll email the church. She didn't go to a church at the time. She emailed 14 churches in the city. Twelve didn't respond. One responded with, we'll pray for you. Homeless woman, single mom, getting evicted. Someone from the garden, and this isn't to talk about the garden, but someone from the garden got the email, shut up with the moving truck, moved her stuff into storage, drove her around to find an apartment, Moved her stuff into an apartment. She didn't have enough furniture or appliances. They overwhelmed her with furniture and appliances. Invited her into to the community group. Paid her first month's rent and the security deposit. And she met Jesus Christ at the Garden Church. She says her life is full of hope, joy, and possibility. She's getting baptized today. Sometimes you walk to a tomb carrying spices and someone says to you, he is risen. Sometimes you have no place to go. Without hope. And Jesus shows up with a moving truck and first month's rent and says, how can we help? The resurrection gives us possibilities. Gives us another chance for those that don't have another chance. This, you think that story of Hannah might be too good to be true. It is. Because for those that take the resurrection seriously, take the cross seriously as well. And all we can do is live out of what Jesus already did for us. And if you think, wait, appliances, furniture, moving, car rides, first month's rent, security deposit, without saying, are you accepting Jesus, without any strings attached, we say, yes, that's called grace. Do you know this God? Do you know this Jesus of Nazareth? The Jesus who resurrects dead things. You see, Christianity, some of you have heard maybe it has to do with you following a process or or climbing a ladder or whatever it is, spiritual ABCs. Christianity begins when we receive the undeserving grace, the uncompromising favor and the extravagant love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Despite what you've done, where you've been or what you will ever do, God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Do you know the love that God has for you today? I'm not talking about if you believe in love, some philosophical ideology. Do you know the uncompromising, unwavering, lavish love that our God, the creator of the universe, has for you personally? That's the invitation. You come to Jesus, he might not get you off drugs. He might not give you first month's rent. But he will offer you a better story. He will offer you a better way to live. A guaranteed. One that's full of hope, one that's full of promise, one full of compassion and meaning. But most importantly, one that accepts you right where you are.
You with me? This is the good news. And this is why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Messiah and Savior. Will you close your eyes? I'll invite the worship team and band up here. While you close your eyes, I want to do this. Would you just gently keep your eyes closed and would you drop into the center of yourself? Just that place where you dialogue. For those of you that are new to this whole thing, I want to invite you to invite the presence of God to fill you. And become aware of His presence in the center of your soul, the voice within you. This morning I asked in prayer that all of you coming today would experience the depth of your being and the love of God for you. Not from an intellectual, uh, intellectual cognition, but to experience that you are loved by God. I don't know where you stand with all of this, but it says in scriptures that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead then you will be saved. Saved is not being saved to going someplace else. It's being saved from yourself. It's being saved from the harm you cause yourself. It's being saved from a life outside of God. It's an invitation to live with God here and now and experience heaven on earth. We're going to do some baptisms in just a little bit. But I want to pray for us and then we'll, we'll worship and then I'll come back and talk about what baptisms are. And I want to give you guys a chance to respond. Some of you uh, need to respond to this message for the first time. Others of you, uh, maybe you're looking for a new beginning and God's full of those. But we'll have some time to do that. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you have resurrected from the dead. Thank you that your message is about grace. It is about life. It is about love. It's not about condemnation. But it's about life here now with you, filled with joy, love, peace. God, I pray now for my brothers and sisters that need to uh, make a decision. That they're being confronted with ideologies, philosophies, and past lives. I pray you give them the courage to hope. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.